Hello and welcome to another edition of 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. Today is November 21st. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn. We're podcasting and my guest today is uh, former District 8 Councilman, former uh, City of Louisville Alderman, Highlands legend and Louisville icon, uh, Dr. Tom Owen. Tom, thank you so much for being our guest today. Glad to be here, Brandon. Um, People in District 8... Uh, miss you. They have fond memories of you. They appreciate all the many years of service you put in, and I know that they love you, and I know they'll be interested to hear what you've been up to over the past year or so, what you uh, have planned for the future, and sort of your thoughts on some things. Well, if folks were watching or listening or observing what went on when I was an 8th District Council person, um, then they were focused too narrowly. Because all along, I had a full-time day job, um, or early morning, or, or noon job, or, or late evening job, or weekend You worked job. two full-time jobs. I was working. The way I talked about it was at least one and two-thirds. Um, I thought the council job um, probably took uh, minimally 25 and up to 30, maybe low 30s an hour, uh, uh, hours a week. Average, and I never, never counted, never counted, never wanted to count, uh, never interested in counting. But in the meantime, for 43 years, I have been employed as an archivist and a Louisville historian at the University of Louisville. I work in archives and special collections in the lower level of the Ekstrom Library, um, and I have been uh, gathering donations of collections the papers of Lyman Johnson, for instance, or most recently the papers of Walter Hutchins or the papers of Grady Clay or the papers I've donated to the university. And then one of my responsibilities, and I'm not as good, as strong at this as I am in role one. Uh, Role two is I try to describe minimally at least these collections so that they can be observed, described online, and people will kind of know, have some idea of what they're looking at when they come in the door. Um, The third responsibility I have, which is really an 18-hour-a-week commitment, and that is to be on the reference desk. So I'm a reference archivist, and so uh, uh, today I spent a goodly number of, of hours sadly, uh, looking for a pamphlet that was generated in 1932 by the Rose um, uh, Company, for, uh, and it's a, a 32-page pamphlet um, describing Rose Island, which was a resort um, opposite the Jefferson County, Oldham County line over in southern Indiana, which is now part of the state park there. Um, so I'm a reference archivist, I'm a describing archivist, I'm a uh, soliciting archivist, and those that's the role that I have been uh, always working at for these 43 years and so all I can say now is that if I did that job well before I'm doing it now with a vengeance Uh, I am aggressively involved and the major new thing in my life since you took over and I left is that normally I'm home most nights by 545 and get to work at 635 but I'm at home by 535 Rejoice. Is 43 years is a long time. Do you have, uh, do you see the end of that career on the horizon? Are you still enjoying it? You still there want to ain't a person in this world that wants me home. 
Um, <laughs> I've had a marriage that has lasted miraculously for perhaps as long as 53 years, and I think the strength of that marriage is that I don't live in that house 24 hours a day. I hear you. Um, and uh, so there's not a person on this earth that wants me to come home, and I'm certainly not interested in coming home, home as long as I've got health. Um, and a brain that works, and um, the energy and the imagination to do it. And I need to add one more thing about what I've been doing. Well, I started actually when you were a candidate, first in the primary, um, but at once I knew that I was not running for re-election, a colleague at the archives, Sherry Pawson, um, asked if I would join her in creating a book. Oh. So we've got a book coming out, December the 4th. That oh. book is a 128-page illustrated, um, pretty significantly researched and captioned history of Belknap Campus. Um, I've been around Belknap Campus uh, just this time since 1975. I first set foot on Belknap Campus as a student in 1957. Um, so I go back a goodly number of years uh, aware of the changes, aware of the hangouts, aware of the sports, aware of the, uh, um, uh, we're not focused on the current change in administration or the current board of trustees. We're focused on a life of a university mm -hmm. uh, that fell into a very interesting historical setting when it came from a mansion on Broadway in 1925 and occupied currently eight buildings that belong to a reform school and orphanage on that site that had been there since months before the Civil War. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, you know, even folks who've been listening for three minutes, um, have, re recall what a treat it is to really hear sort of the vast wealth of knowledge you have <laughs> on all these subjects. And uh, you said, well, I don't know if we can talk for 30 minutes or not, but I'm sure I, I could sit and listen to these stories forever. Um, I also noticed, because I still follow you on Twitter, you still mm -hmm. are at Tom Owen 2012 for folks who want to know what you're up to, <laughs> that you're giving history walks. Well, there's a story, yeah, there's a story behind that Twitter account. Uh, when I was uh, running for re-election in 2012, I was running against uh, people closer to your age. Um, and uh, either literally or in my heart, I felt like they saw me as a digital, as a cyber um, uh, Neanderthal. And so um, out of self-defense, I got myself a Twitter account uh, in 2012. Mm -hmm. So that measures that re-election campaign. And so I got a Twitter account and uh, once every 60 days, I may share a very modestly held opinion. Uh -huh. um, but primarily, even when I was on the council, I used that Twitter account as a way of, um, uh, of saying, this is what's going on, mm -hmm. or this is, uh, or watch out for this, or think about this, uh, or this is when we're having a neighborhood meeting, or this is where I'm headed this week, or this is whatever. So I just continue that practice, only now it's focused on U of L. Yes, um, I, as part of a promotion to the book, I told Get Healthy Now because they had a website at the university and they also had an email list why don't you sponsor me in a series of historical walks of view of Belknap campus? Hot dog. Did they sponsor me seven Wednesdays at noontime in a row? 
I did the same. I repeated that historical walk of Belknap Campus. Now, did it, I know that KET used to record some of your other walking tours around different Louisville neighborhoods. Is this one recorded oh, somewhere no, no. people can watch? Um, no, this is um, not a commercial video. Those seven that I've done previously are neighborhood walks. Or um, I did one that was not formally a neighborhood walk. But um, no, I've got a number eight cooking. Okay, uh, I've been carrying it around my back my backpack for three years. And it uh, is. Uh, it's going to be on Cherokee Triangle and Original Highlands. And that'll be your um, first walk in what is now a District 8 neighborhood or small city, is that that's right? That's right. And that's one reason I think that I kind of step stood back because suddenly you get a mixture of hats and they're all tumbling around on one's head. No, he did that video as a council person. Oh, no, he did that video as a local historian. Which is which and what, you know, just too crazy. And so that was one reason. The other reason is that I did a draft and turned it into my producer, and he said, I think you can do better. <laughs> well, I got, to, I got in the throes of the last years of council, and then this year, the book. And so um, as soon as I get through this book process, mm-hmm. of signings and occasions and um, Speaking releases. engagements in District 8, perhaps, um, Carmichael's or well, somewhere else? Well, hopefully. I think the publisher, Arcadia Publishing, is handling all of those kinds of things. And so I think that's all coming. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Um, but certainly that's the plan. Yeah. Right. And then once I get that out of the way, then I'll get back to that video because uh, it'll be a one-hour commercial video. And uh, uh, tentatively, it's called um, uh, the, uh, um, the, the Original Highlands. Mm-hmm. Not, it'll have a name other than that. But uh, uh, Top of the Hill, uh, orig- uh, Louisville's first streetcar suburb. Mm-hmm. And so um, it will focus... Ten seconds, and then I'll quit. No, I promise please, I'll quit. Continue. Ten seconds, ten seconds. Um, if you come out of Starbucks at uh, uh, Highland and Baxter Bartstown Road, and you turn left and you turn left immediately and walk beside Starbucks down Highland Avenue westbound, mm-hmm. you cross that entranceway to the, the drive-in of the Walgreens, and then you come to a house. But about 12 feet this side of that house there is a partial brick wall. That wall belonged to the 1883 mule car streetcar barn mm. that occupied that site. And so that's just one little bitty old thing that one little bitty old thing that I'll pull out and try to tell about on that video. Well, that's I'm sure people will be thrilled to learn about it, and uh, I certainly am. Are, are mm-hmm. you going to be offering any walking tours to? Well, I do. Other... I do a standard walk of Cherokee Triangle. I don't do a standard walk of Original Highlands. Frankly, the walks I do now publicly, never as a formal commercial offering, mm-hmm. but for groups. As a service. For Leadership Louisville, for Focus Louisville, for a visiting group of, uh, of people interested in Louisville, for a Girl Scouts group last Saturday. I got you to do a bus tour of Louisville's park system for some visitors from across the state for me once yes, also. Yes, yes, yes. And so I do that kind of thing. But the ones I do mostly now are downtown. Occasionally do a butcher town. Eh, fairly frequently do a St. James Court in Environs, and then also do a uh, Portland neighborhood. Um, and I do downtown still mostly, but I do, yeah. And, and frankly, um, this Friday I'm doing a, a tour for a family 
um, uh, of their home sites, hmm. of their childhood, as adolescent uh, reminiscence sites. And so I'm going to sit up in front of a bus. Somebody, they family lined me up. And so uh, I've been studying up on the neighborhoods where they were raised and the sites that connect one neighborhood to another. Well, if you, if you would be so kind as to ever figure out how to let us know when you're doing a Cherokee Triangle tour or an original Highlands tour, yeah. I'm sure you'll have huge crowds. <laughs> well, um, you'd be surprised. <laughs> well, so it's been, it's almost been the two-year anniversary, I think, of when you announced or at least let the newspapers know that right. you were gonna, going to resign. Mm -hmm. I found a, a, a byline from, I think, November the 25th, mm. uh, two years ago, and then obviously yes. you, you served yes, your yes. final year, and it's, I've been in office right. now for a year. Yes. Um, you know, there are sort of the typical questions of do you miss this and do you still pay attention and do you wake up every morning and read the newspaper and either grit your teeth or think what you would do? How, how, how do you feel now that some time has passed and uh, well, there City was, Hall is um, no longer a part of your daily life? There was a transition time, uh, several months long, and kind of surprised me. And it frankly came in the form of, um, uh, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be somewhere else. Habit. Yeah, you know, I'm, I was grooved to a, uh, um, uh, a much more intensive and raw schedule, uh, always feeling like I was hurrying. Um, so that has mellowed out. Um, do I keep up with public affairs? Uh, absolutely. Uh, partly because there's another piece of my day job that I've got to tell you about. Um, I'm supposed to read online and in hard copy, um, articles that relate to the history of the University of Louisville and the broad history of neighborhoods, institutions uh, of the city of Louisville. Hmm. And to mark those articles for clipping, underline a keyword, and then a student will actually do the clipping or actually print out the email, I mean print out the, um, the, from the website. And we will put those in reference files at Archives and Special Collections. Mm. So it's my job to keep up. Sure. But am I even more than that interested? Of course I am. You don't love the community. You don't get gnarled in. You don't get woven into the very fabric of the community unless you, um, uh, you don't rip that away. Mm -hmm. You don't tear that up. You don't snatch that. Um, no, I'm always interested and committed and uh, interested in the future of the community and want us to do well on multiplicity of fronts. And so, yes, I keep up. Um, do, I, do I miss it? Um, uh, you all have been through some pretty rough and tumble times in the last months, and no, I'm glad you're doing it, and I'm not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what about even, you know, as someone who's been used to being such a major part of making decisions for the community for so long, you can read about things that happened in a newspaper and observe. Do you... Do you get the satisfaction of just expressing your opinion to your wife and your friends? Because you, you don't seem to be injecting yourself in public conversations, as I don't think most folks, no. most folks do after they well, uh, secede from public I certainly life. wanted, if anything involving District 8, I wanted you to have a very, very, very long holiday uh, of not not having to deal with any yipping or yapping that I'm doing. And frankly, I don't, I'm probably not much inclined to be that way. Mm -hmm. um, 
I had significant strengths as a council person and highly recognizable weaknesses as a council person. And wallowing in legislation was not one of them. Um, one of my strengths was bully pulpit. Um, mm-hmm. And I love to do that. One of my strengths is that I had a very sharp memory. So in the legislative process, I didn't suck on old bitterness. Um, some slight, some some slap down that occurred some time ago. Uh, one of my strengths was um, being visible and accessible. One mm-hmm. of my strengths. So I had multiple, multiple, multiple strengths. Of course. Recognizable weaknesses. You don't go on right. Doing legislation was one of them. So you do it. I watch you do it. Uh, I didn't do it very well when I did it. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, did I take a solid and declarative stand on fairness at a very early age, at a very early time in my public service? Absolutely. Did I take a stand against a garbage disdain and incinerator back in the 90s? You doggone right I did. Did I take a fundamental and determined stand even through several pieces of legislation involving uh, a smoking ban? You doggone right I did. But on the other hand, did I go down the hallway of the third floor lining up, cajoling, trading, horse trading, which is a noble profession, by the way. Horse trading is not an ignoble profession. Did I do that well? Of course I did not do that well. Mm -hmm. That was not one of my strengths. So when I see you doing legislation, I say Godspeed and do it a whole lot better than I did it. Well, for better for better or worse, I am a little bit of a policy wonk and kind of a yeah. technocrat and yeah. you know, like everybody else, I sort of have my strengths and my weaknesses and um you know, where I'm still exploring those myself yeah. and, sure. and in fact, that sort of you know, I have very few sort of questions and notes jotted down on my notepad here, but one of the things I wanted to know about is if you can think back to the very beginning of your your first year in office. I'm just getting ready mm-hmm. to finish up my mm-hmm. first term. If I have my facts right, Let's see. You first joined the board of aldermen after defeating an incumbent alderwoman in 1989. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, in a Democratic <laughs> primary, yeah. and uh, even even going back. So your reason for running in the first place? What was the spark where you decided, you know what, I'm going to run for alderman? Well, it's um, it's a mixture of um, fantasy, um, fantasy. Uh huh. I memorized the presidential oath of office when I was 11 years old. Uh-huh. So your as, work is undone. As an, as an aspirant, you know. So was I interested? Have I always been fantasizing about profiles and courage? Um, men and women who stood up and were counted against the odds and against the more popular will of the people? Of course. So why did I run? A combination of fantasy, combination of uh, uh, of a historian understanding mm-hmm. that if I don't do it, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. And if I have not pure motives, but adequately honest motives for public service, mm-hmm. then I may well do as well or better than a lot of other people. There are really people who, because of their own perversity and their own twisted minds, can lead a bunch of lemmings over the precipice. And I'm, if so that was another. I think I can do it um, uh, because I was a historian and understand that uh, 
people who have uh, of, of decent purpose um, need to step forward. And I love my community. So, and so all those, sure. those are among the reasons that I chose. Sure, them. and I, I think I share some of those same feelings. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in just terms of the background, it was 1988. Uh, you had a young family. You were working uh, at UofL, as you said. And, no, uh, and, and another thing, I had virtually no political experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran as a grassroots person who was not connected to party. I was a Democrat. I had actually been a Republican until 1964, Um, but uh, uh, I was a Democrat. I certainly supported, for the most part, the purposes and the ideals of the Democratic Party, but I was not a party person by any stretch of the imagination. Neither am I. I'd never been involved in... I'd never been involved in government before. I might have been involved once or twice in a precinct level uh, uh, vote that chose electors to go to a party conference of some kind. Um, but I hadn't even been that strongly involved in my neighborhood association for mm-hmm. crime and so, did you still live in Tyler Park in oh yeah. 1988? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And young family, uh-uh. That was another reason. My family was just up. And headed out. Okay. Uh, I had, in 1989, I had one teenager who was late in high school. And so that was another factor. Um, I did not have uh, a dissertation (laughs) after six years of dragging it across the finish line. Had been finished in 81. I had done some, some, I was absolutely involved in what you would call public history, mm-hmm. doing the walks, talks, tours, radio, television, all that kind of stuff. But um, um, so I was um, knocking, well, let me think about it. Yeah, I was already over 50 years of age when I ran. Oh. So, uh, um, yeah, I, I did a quick calculation on that, but uh, I think it was 28 years ago. Yeah. So, but, it, you know, in terms of context, late 80s, this was pre-merger, of course. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. the city and county had just entered into their compact where there was yeah. the, be- the beginnings of some uh, cooperation. Uh, 1988, you know, the city was sprawling. Uh, we had many decades since left sort oh, of yeah. the strength of our strong urban core, but we had not yet sprawled to the point where we are today. I think you, like me, uh, you know, we're urbanists. Uh, we care about the, the community's character and fabric, and you were starting to see some of those things change. Were, was it, was there, was it, were some of those forces of change what inspired you to get involved at that moment well, and try to direct Certainly it direct was energy. Them? I can't recall that it was a motive, but certainly it was energizing because though I would say that I have failed broadly uh, at a level of about 80%, but always I was interested in growing this community toward the center. Mm-hmm. And there are flashes of optimism regarding that. Um, I've always been a public transportation person. Mm-hmm. Um, always. Uh, so, yeah, I think um, it was energizing to begin, for instance, um, through the years. It was always energizing to see Baxter Bardstown Road um, are there problems on Baxter and Bardstown Road? Uh-huh. But on balance, is Baxter Bardstown Road as a pedestrian, as a destination, as a regional designation, has it improved? Um, oh, let me give a number. About 
49% in the last 27 years? I'd think so. You think so? Oh, absolutely, I think so. Um, So was that energizing? You're doggone right that was energizing. Yeah, Yeah. I'm reading in sort of an article that the Courier-Journal wrote about you when you announced that you were going to retire saying that uh, in 1989, a trolley service for Bardstown Road, safe for pedestrian traffic, uh, and a citywide paper recycling program were among your priorities. If you're paying attention today, and you yeah. are, you say, yeah. you see that we're doing another Bardstown Road <laughs> corridor safety <laughs> yeah. improvement study. Yeah. And so I hope you'll tell me that, number one, we're not wasting taxpayer dollars, Absolutely that not. these studies are important, and uh, that there are still certainly are many ways that Bardstown Road can be improved. Absolutely. What, any absolutely. any observations about sort of, you know, the character of the corridor today and if, you know, if you could snap your fingers or influence it in some way, what you would like to see? Uh, my, and this is not anything new. I'm articulating something I've articulated a goodly number of times previously. But uh, I'll tell you something I'd like to see. I'd like to see stores close, stores, retail stores, not grocery stores, mm-hmm. not coffee shops. I'd like to see stores close at um, 8, 8 to 8.30 at night. Uh, I would like to see uh, uh, the residents who live adjacent to the Baxter Barstown Road corridor, um, uh, their stroll, their evening stroll, mm-hmm. would involve stops along the way. Um, that's a vision of Bardstown Road that I think um, I would like to see. More yeah. walkable with more neighborhood-serving businesses. Sure. That's right. Absolutely. Sure. And uh, um, that happens, but not at the level that I wish it would. Mm-hmm. That I wish it would. Um, when you first came into office as an, as an alderman, do you remember the uh, situation you inherited and what it was like to sort of set up shop? Because I've found myself in this first year of transition from, from your office trying to really just sort of get the nuts and bolts together, <laughs> obviously, to understand the budget and to put our communications tools in place and uh, some of those fundamental things that are important for kind of building an office. Do you remember that being Um, a challenge or, uh, you know, did you just sharpen your pencil and get to work? Well, again, I depended very, very heavily on on my aides since I did have another very substantial and significant direction. um, But I'll tell you the one thing that I... um, that was probably the most shocking thing about getting started um, in the months, 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 year and beyond um, is that I presumed there was just a way of doing things in terms of policies, municipal regulations, municipal standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way Louisville did it was probably eh, probably the way other communities did it. <laughs> No way, Jose. Every community creates its. And so as a result, when I would travel, I would say, what? They have signs above the intersection that tell you what street, what intersection you're coming to? Well, why don't we have that? Or they have stop signs that are configured in a way that are much more visible than ours. Why don't we do it that way? Right. Well, I thought there was a standard. I thought there was a way. But the truth of the matter is, Though that level of public policy is arm-wrestled, usually with uh, career um, officials in government uh, who think about budget, think about we can't do it. 
we can't do it that way because it's never been done. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I always found a measure of, uh, uh, of what I would call inertia in that regard. And so, you know, I'm sort of a contrarian and pretty persistent myself, yeah. and I can think of some examples, whether it's, you know, wanting to put on-street yield signs in the crosswalks like you see in yeah. some cities sure. that, that uh, <laughs> you know, the Department of Transportation tells me we can't do that for this reason or yeah. that reason. Did you find that over time you learned how to just get some of those things oh, accomplished? Oh, it would or? be nice. It would be nice if I said that, uh, you know, I just grabbed that bull by the horns and just, you know, ended up being a, uh, a, a, a sterling matador. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, uh, oh, some things just came. Some things, the, there were other people in government that changed things. And I'd like to think that a measure of cajoling, a measure of working within the system. Um, we got some changes, yeah. But I'm not sure that I, I never felt like uh, uh, the band was playing and I was doing a matador's bow in that regard. What about your sort of early efforts to connect with your constituents? I know that, you know, you said that, um, and it's true, you were always out and very visible. You would famously ride your bicycle past every residence and yeah. every business in the district yeah. annually. Yeah. Um, did you find that it was a, an effort year over year to slowly build connections with as many people as possible, or did you sort of do your thing and people found you? Because I guess the reason I'm asking is, you know, some folk, you know, we get requests and uh, questions from constituents all the time to do something or try to help in one way or another. And I have to remind people occasionally that we don't directly control any of the executive branch employees. I can't yeah. make somebody go out and, and do something. Sure, sure, uh, sure. We can ask nicely. We can, yeah. uh, we can try to get what we want. But uh, because our offices are only us in part-time jobs with mm-hmm. one full-time staff person, I've really tried to get people interested in what's going on and even enlist them to volunteer some of their time and effort to help with different I've things. So that. I'm slowly trying to build sort of an organizational mentality in mm-hmm. District 8, uh, whether it's through trying to organize the neighborhood associations to work together and we all do this and we all do that. Did you, did you, did you see that being an important thing to try to accomplish in terms of getting some help from the people you serve in performing your service? Well, um, Again, I think you have a clear vision and a broader view of things. I genuinely think that's true, and I'm not... I, I would guess my perception is that, generally speaking, I just kind of flailed along. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I will say this. Um, I thought, and, and it wasn't always that I... I thought neighborhood associations, and we got a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And you've even made more, yeah. for crying out loud. Um, but I thought, now this, believe me, this you have to believe something in life. You know, you have to go at, and you either go at it with sourness or you go at it with some hope and optimism. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to say is on the hope and optimism side. Okay, good. But I saw the neighborhood associations, or let's put it another way. I tried to see the neighborhood associations as a positive adjunct 
to what I was trying to accomplish. And as an additional ear to the ground, looking, listening, watching on a very narrow piece of turf, a much narrow piece of turf than the entire 8th District. So as a result, I saw the neighborhood associations, or let me be more honest, tried to see the neighborhood associations consistently as an adjunct or as a supporter or as a uh, important aid. Mm-hmm. Now, did I see that? Did I see the neighborhood associations that way every single day of my service? I won't. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, did I every neighborhood association I went to? When I went to the meetings and they went on an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes, did I think um, I might be spending my time better somewhere else? Or, Lord help my soul, some of the people in this room see this as their monthly night out. Um, yeah, yeah, I certainly did. Because the neighborhood associations yeah. obviously don't, a group of 10 or 12 or 20 or even even 100 people doesn't represent the hundreds and thousands of people that live in each of these no, neighborhoods. No, no, that's right. I said, I always said I represented 28,664 people. Mm-hmm. I made that number up. Okay. Uh, completely. <laughs> but I was close. You were close. I was close. Yeah. I knew I was close. Yeah. But I just, you know, just to kind of give a specific number. Of course. Yeah. But neighborhood associations are their own creature. And, and all in all, they create some sweet spots and some very sweet moments. And for all in balance, I was very glad. And it's funny that you make that number up. The number I use a lot is 16,029 because that is how many different street addresses are in District oh, 8, you know, according to a spreadsheet. And so yeah. ideally, I would like to have some connection to everyone who is, who is somewhere. Yes. And maybe not everybody in, lives in the home, but at least one person to get a piece of important information to or to get some input back from. And beyond neighborhood associations, maybe... Um, Maybe it's always been this way, but certainly with social media or the days where people can talk to you on Facebook or reach you anytime, anywhere, one-on-one, you know, how, how did you build relationships with individuals or interact with them? Did, it, did you, was it just a matter of people came to you and they saw you in public, you had meeting, open town hall type meetings with Tom where folks would come and find you, or was there some other way to get them interested in what you were doing and for you to... Or did you sort of have to rely on them to call you and email you when they had a problem? Yeah. Um, All I can... A re-election campaign. Remember, Mm -hmm. remember, remember, remember. uh, When I first started serving, the terms were two years. Oh, wow. I didn't realize Uh that. And that was was from when to when? uh, I don't remember when it ended. Okay. But under the Board of Aldermen, we were under two-year terms. Oh, wow. So you got back to doorsteps... Pretty quick. Pretty quickly. And... So that was always a way of kind of touching with an immediacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was always, I thought, useful because, again, it kind of uh, bent my ear in a way that, um, uh, that uh, would not have normally been done, I think. Was there a certain point in your length of office, you know, either from your, your first term or your second term or, or after 10 years mm-hmm. or after merger, where you think you somehow fundamentally shifted your approach in some way, where, where there was a sort of a seismic event, or do you think that you just sort of continued to ev- evolve in the job as yourself from beginning to end? Well, some there were two dramatic events in that, uh, uh, let's say, 27-year period. 
um, and 26-year period, 27-year um, period. Uh, the first dramatic event, uh, event is that I left. So I quit. In 1998, I had to quit. Okay. After nine years on the Board of Aldermen, I had to quit because I ran for mayor, and you could not run for re-election to the Board of Aldermen uh, while you were running for mayor. We'll and I lost that. that race by three hairs of my chinny-chin-chin chin mm -hmm. in the Democratic primary, which that year in 1998 would have been tantamount to re-election. To, to election as mayor, not re-election, mm -hmm. to election as mayor. So was there a break in my service? Uh, yeah, four years. Mm -hmm. So I came back then with, in 2003, essentially representing the same uh, geographical district that I had as a third ward alderman for nine years in the 1990s. But what's different? Merge, Merge government. Right. <laughs> right. So I had two starts. I had two there were two kind of fundamental uh, divides in the years of those service. Mm -hmm. One is I left for four years because I had to. And the other is when I came back in 2003, I came back to a significantly different government mm -hmm. and a significantly different legislature. With Instead of 12 members, we had 26. Mm -hmm. And they represented all God's children in Jefferson County. Mm-hmm. Not just the former city of Louisville. And so was was um, Councilman Tom Owen any different or very different from Alderman Tom Owen in the way you did business either here in in the district or or on the council? I don't have enough perspective to know. Yeah. I I'm guessing not. I just always responded to. You know, you get in grooves and you just kind of keep on grooving. Mm -hmm. um, did I believe in mailing a newsletter? Yes. Did I believe in, did I try to make some adaptation to social media? You heard that. But did I ever get on Facebook? Heck no. Did I ever, um, um, did I ever get on next door? No way. In fact, if there was, um, if there was an 11% reason that I left city government, it's because of next door. Yeah. I mean, because you can round up 214 people overnight on a critical issue involving a neighborhood event, mm -hmm. um, and that opinion can be shaped overnight by 214 people based on, pardon me, virtually no information, mm -hmm. or certainly not solid information. So. You know, among the decisions, among the factors that caused me to retire was uh, being old um, and deciding that I wanted kind of an, a graceful exit. Uh, might as well leave when you're doing fairly well at your game rather than let sure. somebody run you out. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I did not adapt well to, frankly, technology, and I give you credit for... Well, expanding we, it and we, struggling with it and doing it struggling with it is yeah. the most accurate yeah. i'm certainly no tech expert i'm not very good at social media my wife will tell you but we've talked about it on this show with some of our guests before and we'll we're still learning to adapt you know uh sort of come to the conclusion that instagram is not very good for sharing information although people mm -hmm. kind of like it i do think facebook and twitter are effective for getting information out like mm -hmm. you said i don't really use it to opine on things very mm -hmm. rarely Although it's interesting, I do find that in this day and age, in the administration and world we're living in, some people want 
even their local city council person to take a more political stance and mm-hmm. be that kind of figure, maybe mm-hmm. because they're missing it from, from somewhere else, from other elected leaders. But for me, it has been effective mm-hmm. for information. Next door is a tough nut to crack, and uh, we're still working on the technology and the best uses for it. But I had this discussion with LMPD recently mm-hmm. because you're aware there was a, a, sure. a shooting in the Cherokee Triangle, and uh, next door is where people are. And like it or not, we have to go to where the people are. Yeah. And so over the next year, I know my office is going to try to figure out how to be better there. And we've asked LMPD to try to figure out how they can be better mm-hmm. uh, in the digital space. So, you know. There are challenges. Um, and like like many, many things, it's a mixed bag and it's, it is what it is and you have to respond to it. Let me ask you about the decision to run for mayor mm-hmm. because um, – I think, uh, and, and, we'll, and we're, we're, we're nearing the end. Time yeah. does fly, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, my observation from, I've worked in the mayor's office. I helped mm-hmm. Mayor Fisher with his first campaign, was an advisor in his office, and have some other sort of experience there. My, so my limited experience there and my limited experience in this job is that mayor and metro council person are very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, part of what I like about this job is that even though it's really hard to you know, quote unquote, manage 30,000 people and 16,000 buildings and 309 roads and three parks and this many of that. And it's at least a number and a physical space that I can envision and I can wrap my arms around, even Mm -hmm. if I can barely do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, occasionally in this job, I find myself in parts of the city I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, how could I have the same care and make the same effort towards all of these places it's just too many to to deal with um and um you know there's also so many of those ceremonial roles of mayor to always respond politically Mm -hmm. when it when you're called to do it to Mm -hmm. always show up for events which i struggle with now because you know i feel like i already spend so much time working Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about sort of your your inspiration to run for mayor and um, and uh, just looking back on that experience? Well, I thought I'd been a decent member of the Board of Aldermen. I thought I had some graces, again, um, a genuine love for people and mm-hmm. a genuine love for all kinds of people. Um, I'd been raised in this community and people tease. I've lived in probably... Uh, <laughs> I, pro- I haven't lived in that many neighborhoods, but at various times, uh, I kind of historically have rapped about uh, how many places in Jefferson County I've lived in. You grew up in uh, Parkland in well, West Louisville. Parkland and lived in the South End and lived in Highview and lived in Hikes Point and lived in uh, Audubon Park. But loved the Highlands in, the most. Well, I ended up in the Highlands in 1978 and I ain't gone anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm very, very happy there. And uh, so my point is, um, I just, I felt like I had some graces to do the job. It would have been, if I had been elected, I would have needed some very strong people on the chief of staff level. Uh, who would have helped with across Sixth Street legislative process, mm-hmm. um, following legislation, um, who would have been helpful in, and frankly, the administration of government. 
mm -hmm. uh, just the bureaucracy. Um, but again, the ceremonial occasions, the visibility thing, uh, the vision thing, uh, the listening and looking for opportunities to nudge the community this way or that way, um, I thought I might well be able to do it and do it well. You would have um, been great. Yeah, well, maybe. You never know. It would have been, I tell you, it takes a lot of luck mm -hmm. to be a very good mayor. Mm -hmm. And I genuinely believe that. Well, you know, I... I was little lived in the Highlands. Mm. I was 1998. I was just turning 18. It was right. the first time I would have been able to vote. I didn't live in District 8 and couldn't right. have voted District 8, but I sure would have voted for you. Oh, thank you. Um, well, uh, Tom Owen, it's been an incredible privilege and pleasure <laughs> to be with you today. Um, you this, indulge me. This I helps. Appreciate it. No, you. this is a real <laughs> treat for everybody. Uh, this is, we're, we're just getting to ready to wrap up sort of the first year of this podcast experiment, which we hope helps people connect to government and have some interest in it. Uh, if we find out that it's a good thing and we keep doing it for a couple of years, we'd ask you to consider coming back. Absolutely. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity and my very, 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 very best. And uh, as you push on buttons to see what doors open and as you, uh, as you work, genuinely at this job I, you have I, I, I tip my hat thanks very much thank you thank Councilman you. Tom Owen thanks for listening to 8 More Miles the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast please stay in touch with our office visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash cmconed8 and once you're there please subscribe and stay informed to receive our bi-weekly e-newsletter <laughs>